Praise the Lord. Amen. What a beautiful day today. What a beautiful evening. Amen. The only thing that would make it better is just a few more degrees. <laughs> I know everybody's right there with me. <laughs> more or less. All right. <laughs> oh, I do love summertime. For the month and a half that we have it, I really enjoy it. <laughs> Amen. Let's all stand. That's not what makes this evening great. It's because we are gathered together in the presence of Almighty God. Amen. We are going to receive all that He has for us. Our God is infinite. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He knows everything. He has all authority. He has all power. He can do whatever it is we have need of tonight. Amen. And it is His good will, it is His desire to accomplish those things in our lives. Amen. Let's go to Him in prayer this evening. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. We give glory and honor unto You. We heap glory and honor unto the Almighty today. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify You because You are worthy. You are worthy inherently. You're worthy because of who You are. Because You are the Lord. Because You are God. And there is none else. We worship You because of Your mighty acts, the great and terrible things that You've done, Your signs and Your wonders that You have performed in our midst. Hallelujah, Jesus! Those wonders that You did in Scripture. We worship You, Lord, because You are omnipotent, You're omniscient, You're omnipresent. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus! We worship You because You are God and God alone. I pray, Lord, that You'd bless Your service here this evening, that You'd minister unto Your people according to our needs and according to Your perfect will this evening. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Amen. We're going to continue our series on doctrine tonight. Uh, it seems like I have a lot here, but we'll see. We'll see how fast I blow through it. Uh, and uh, when we're done, we're done. Amen. It's a Wednesday night. We're going to talk about the doctrine of death. Now, that seems a little weird, uh, but that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, and when you start to think about death, it seems like it would be pretty cut and dried. Uh, yeah, Adam sinned and brought death into the world and... and uh, that's about it. But it turns out there's a little bit more to this doctrine than it first meets the eye. And hopefully, prayerfully, uh, at the end of this lesson, you'll see just how important this doctrine really is and specifically how it relates to our doctrine of salvation. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 states this. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And that is the first time we encounter this word in Scripture. Die. To die. Death. Marked for death. Etc. Etc. Uh, that's what this word means. The doctrine of death. We understand what this is. We know that all of us are going to die. And none of us knows when. Now, if you're young, that's a million years away. And nothing is going to happen until then. I mean, you just know that when you're young. <clears throat> You're invincible. You're strong and vibrant. And you fall and you just bounce right back up again. You get sick for an hour or two and your immune system kicks in and you're good to go again. That's the power of youth. Amen. As you get older, that kind of falls off a little bit. The sicknesses last a little bit longer. And... You fall and you don't get up quite as quickly as you used to. And eventually, uh, depending on who you are and, and how old you become, uh, you just break. 
and lay there a while until help comes. And you just you don't get up on your own anymore. <laughs> you get sick. It lasts a long time. But eventually, we die. Why? What purpose does that serve? Why is there such a thing as death? In the short time that I've had the privilege of pastoring here, we've had two tragedies. Two deaths. And they are tragic. Death is a tragedy. Why do we look at it, at it as a tragedy? We read about, maybe we know someone who has experienced a stillborn birth. People use, lose children when they're very young. Did God create a world where babies are born dead? Is that the world God created? How about natural disasters? People die every year in earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods. Did God create a world that seems to, to want to kill us at every opportunity? Is that the world God created? And it's not just human death either. Maybe you've heard of something called the fossil record. This fossil record is a record of death. Billions and billions of living things, once living things, now dead, buried in sediment and fossilized. We're living on top of a massive graveyard. Is that the world that God created? Did He make this that way? We have record in the fossil, this fossil record, uh, evidence of pain. Creatures being buried alive. Creatures falling into tar pits. Evidence of killing. There's fossil remains of animals inside the stomachs of other fossilized animals. There's record of disease, thorns, struggles, suffering, extinction. There's a, there's a very popular worldview today that views death as a natural part of the universe. In fact, death is the hero here. Death is the hero. And here's why. According to evolution, that's the worldview that, well, materialism, secular humanism, however you want to state it. But they believe that we arrived at our lofty position as a Homo sapiens sapien, the most highly evolved animal to date. We arrived at this lofty position through billions and billions of years, a few billion years, of death, suffering, struggle, natural selection, survival of the fittest. That's how we got here. Without death, there is no natural selection. Without death, there is no survival of the fittest. Without death, there is no evolution. Question. Survival of the fittest. Who survives? The fittest. What happens if you're not the fittest? You die off, right? Hopefully. I mean, that's what we're looking for here, right? We don't want the weak to propagate themselves. We want the strong. We want the fittest to propagate themselves. Natural selection. Who gets selected? The strongest. The fittest. What happens to those that don't get selected? I mean, this isn't... This isn't something like, I'm the last person picked at, at recess. I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. What? I don't get selected. I die off. Right? Death is the hero. Death is the one that pushes this thing forward. Isn't that awesome? We should be celebrating death. 
And yet, nobody celebrates death. No one. Well, there are a few weirdos. <clears throat> but by and large, no one is happy when death comes. Certainly to them, but even to a loved one. The staunch atheist, the, the humanist, the materialist. They cry when a loved one dies. They grieve and they suffer loss. Even though, according to their worldview, death is the hero. We need death to push this, this thing forward. To continue evolution. The biblical view of death is quite a bit different, however. In fact, the biblical view of death is diametrically opposed in every single way. Every way. The Bible declares that man was created in a perfect world. Without death. Without disease. Without thorns. Without suffering. Without struggle. And then we sinned. And because of our disobedience, because of our disobedience, sin entered into the world. And because of sin, death. Death becomes an intruder. It becomes an enemy. It becomes an alien, a foreign entity in this creation. It's not supposed to be here. It was never supposed to be here. In evolution, we have death before man. In the Bible, we have man before death. And we can only believe one of them. Only one of these is true. The other one is a lie. I believe God. So let's see what God has to say about it. In Genesis 1, chapter 20, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 29, He says this, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree into which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed to you it shall be for meat. So we see here, Mankind was originally vegetarian. Surprisingly, this is an important point. Genesis 1.30 says, To every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. The animals were also vegetarian. No one ate meat. No one. The lions were vegetarians. The alligators were vegetarians. The Tyrannosaurus rex were vegetarians. The eagles were vegetarians. Adam and Eve were vegetarians. If you believe God's testimony. I hope we all do here. Genesis 1.31 says, God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. At this point in time, God declares His creation to be very good. It was perfect. It was complete. It was whole. There was nothing wrong with His creation. Everything was as He intended. It was all very good. At this point, death was not present in God's creation. Ah! But they were eating plants, weren't they? Didn't the plants die? Wasn't there death? Because the plants died. If we go back to verse 29. Oh, I'm sorry, no, verse 30. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Now, I understand we consider plants a living being, a living thing. But biblically, they're not. Biblically, God doesn't consider them to have life. Biblically, plants don't die. We read about them fading. We read about them withering. But they never die. Not in Scripture. Psalm 37 and 2 says, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, 
and wither as the green herb. Isaiah 15 and 6 says, For the waters of Nimrim shall be desolate, for the hay is withered away, the grass faileth, there is no green thing. Jonah 4, 7, God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it, not died, that it withered. Isaiah one thirty, For ye shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth, and as a garden that hath no water. Isaiah 40 and 8 says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Now remember this. Plants don't die, not biblically. They are an organic, self-replicating food source. But they are not alive in the biblical sense. Okay. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16-17 through 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God's commandment to Adam and Eve was this. Don't eat the fruit of this particular tree. That was it. That was the one commandment. Why did God give the commandment? Because He had to have a choice. We've talked about this at length, uh, but in a way of review, there had to be a choice. There had to be... uh, God wanted Adam and Eve to choose to obey Him. To choose to love Him. To choose to serve Him. Just like He does with you and I today. He's not going to force it. But there's got to be a choice. If there's no choice, then uh, then you're forced. God also lets them know the consequences for disobedience. The consequences for sin would be death. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's interesting that they phrased it that particular way. The gift of God is it doesn't say salvation. It says eternal life. Interesting. Alright, let's move on. Sin comes first. Then death. We cannot have death before sin. Not biblically. There are, there are Christians. There are theologians. There are Bible teaching professors at seminaries who will teach theistic evolution, day-age theory, gap theory, progressive revelation or progressive creation, some kind of uh, mixed-up junk that tries to comport evolution with Scripture. Let me explain something here. Man's philosophy will never comport with Scripture. God's Word stands all by itself. It's good just the way it is. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our philosophy mixed in with this. He doesn't. So don't do it. Just take it as it is. Just accept Scripture as He's presented it to us. And these professors, these theologians, will put death before sin. Why? Because of millions and billions of years. And you're going to find, as we go through the months and years here that we have left on planet Earth, uh, that I am going to continue to talk about this particular topic. Not specifically, but it's going to come up time and time again. Why? Because this is what we're facing in our society today. Fifty, sixty years ago, preachers would get up here and talk about the oneness of God a lot. The need for... uh, Baptism in Jesus' name. A lot. Why? Because a lot of people were going to church. They just believed the wrong doctrine. So that's that's what God placed on preachers' hearts. Today it's not so much doctrine. We're going to study doctrine. We need to know doctrine. You better believe it. Absolutely. Because we need to practice sound doctrine. We need to be apt to teach sound doctrine. However, the average guy, if I can say it that way, if you'll permit me that, The average guy on the street isn't going to church at all anymore. He's not concerned about doctrine. He doesn't know any doctrine. He doesn't know the doctrine of soteriology from eschatology. I know y'all do. Doctrine of salvation versus the doctrine of prophecy or end times. 
They don't know any of that. They're not concerned about it. What they are concerned about is, well, evolution has demonstrated that the Bible is not true. Well, my teacher says that, you know, there are millions of years, so where does Adam and Eve fall into that? And we've got to have an answer. We've got to know what's going on out there. We can't be ignorant of that. Because they have honest questions. We have truth. Our God has the answer to those things. And He will present those answers through you and through me. So, that's going to come up probably regularly. Anyway, uh, the problem with evolution, one, <laughs> uh, a problem with evolution is that they put death before man and therefore before man's sin. We cannot have death before sin. That's important too. Put a bookmark on that. We'll come back to that. Well, in any case, we see as the, the story progresses that they did exactly what they were told not to do, right? They ate of the tree. Genesis 3, 6, and 7 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Notice the initial reaction here. They attempted to cover their sin themselves. Their own way. That was their initial reaction. Conscience was immediately awakened. And it pricked them in their hearts. They knew they had done wrong. So they did all that they knew to do. Cover up their nakedness. They covered themselves in plants. Why weren't the plants sufficient? It covered everything. Because plants don't die, do they? That wasn't sufficient. The punishment, the consequences of sin is what? Death. That's right. And plants don't die. Plants are food. Not friends. <laughs> plants are food. They don't die. Something had to die as a consequence for their sin. Genesis 3.17-19 says unto Adam, He said, Because thou hast hearkened, under the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So here we see it. Plain as day. The death sentence that God pronounced on Adam and Eve. Adam, you're going to die. Not right now, but the process had, that's when the process of death started inside of each of them. And we see 900 some odd years later, that's exactly what happened. They died. Because of man's sin, we read in this passage of Scripture the entire earth was cursed. And mankind would now be subject to disease, suffering, struggle, death. Because of man's sin, the animals would be subject to disease, suffering, struggle, and death. Because of man's sin, the entire creation was cursed. Romans 8:21 and 22 says, "...because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God." For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. All of creation struggles and groans under the weight of the curse that we placed on it. 
It's cursed because of us, because of our sin, our transgression. And it's waiting. It's waiting to be freed from that. Genesis 3.21 says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. God demonstrated them a truth that would only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. A truth we see demonstrated time and time and time again all through the Old Testament. That it would take the setting of blood. To cover sin. That the wages of sin would always be death. Someone has to die because I sinned. Plants can't die. Animals can. So God killed animals and covered the sin of Adam and Eve. Demonstrating for the first time the substitutionary sacrifice for sin. At a later point, we find Cain and Abel offering a sacrifice to God. Abel offered the firstlings of his flock, an animal. And the Bible says that God had respect unto his sacrifice. What did Cain offer? Yeah, a garden salad. Plants. I don't doubt that it was his first fruits. I'd be willing to stipulate that he offered the best he had of his, of his crops, of his garden, to God. But the Bible says God did not respect his offering. Why? Same reason. God demands a blood sacrifice. The substitutionary sacrifice for sin has to be blood. What does it say in Leviticus 17? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. No blood, no death, no remission. No covering for sin. Genesis 3 and 18 says, well, we've already read it, it talks about thorns and thistles. Why well, mention thorns and thistles? Well, according to evolutionists, the thorn fossils we find in the, in the fossil record are supposedly 360 to 408 million years old. A few months before man shows up. Let's put it that way. A little bit before man shows up. What does the Bible say? There were no thorns and thistles until after Adam sinned. If the fossil record of these millions and millions of years is true, that makes the earth billions of years old. These fossils are many millions of years old. And we have death before sin. And God lied to us. The point I'm trying to make here is they can't both be true. You can't have millions of years and a biblical interpretation of events here. One is true and one isn't. The earth is not billions of years old. The earth is thousands of years old. And if that's the first time you've heard that, and that just seems like Please talk to me. I'll explain it ad nauseum to you. Why that's the case. I don't have time uh, in the lesson today uh, uh, up here. But I, I love to talk about that. I will talk about that all day long. Give my wife a break here. I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> She's already heard all this. Okay. Okay. If this earth is billions of years old, then the Bible is false and God lied to us. If there is a God at all. But if God is telling the truth, <laughs> I believe He is, then those millions of years are a lie. They never happened. They're make-believe. The result of using faulty dating methods based on faulty assumptions and interpreted through faulty worldviews. We could talk about the dating methods too. Carbon-14, all of those things, uh, radiometric dating, they don't work. They don't work. 
just one quick example, and I'll move on. Uh, there was a fossil dug up, a very recent fossil, uh, of a cowboy boot with part of the leg still in it. The whole thing was fossilized. Uh, they were calling it the limestone cowboy. <coughs> that wasn't a joke. That They actually called it that. <laughs> it is funny, but <coughs> that wasn't a punchline. In any case, they thought, well, let's send a chunk of this boot in and see what comes back for a date. Did you know that cowboy boot was millions of years old? How about that? Anyway, I could go on and on about that. It's good science, uh, but there are a lot of assumptions built into there. And a lot of those assumptions are just not true. So, in any case... Uh, So there's another problem if we accept millions of years. Uh, we see evidence of dinosaurs having cancer, bone cancer, even brain tumors. Well, we again have the, the curse of sin before men sinned. That's a problem. So, before sin, God called His creation very good. Is cancer very good? I don't think anyone considers cancer very good. No human being does. No one considers that good. There are not millions of years. According to Scripture, the earth is about 6,000 years old. God created everything perfectly and very good. Man sinned, and through his sin, brought the curse of sin on all creation. That's where sickness and disease and struggle and suffering and natural disasters and decay and death comes from. The curse of sin. The wages of sin is death. We live in that world today. We don't live in a perfect world. We live in a world where all of that is very common. Every day people die. In fact, Jesus was born into that world. This world is not how God created it originally. This world is in a state God never intended. It was never God's intention for us to be here. Not at all. We're here because of us. Because of our parents, Adam and Eve. Leviticus 4.26 says, He shall burn uh, all his fat upon the altar as the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall make an atonement for him as concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. Okay, so we, we find plenty of record in the Old Testament, uh, most specifically in the Law of Moses, about these substitutionary sacrifices for sin. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sacrifice a lamb, take the blood into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and God would forgive sin. God would roll that sin forward for a year. It wasn't atoned. It wasn't remitted. It was just good until next year. From the time of Adam till the time of Jesus Christ, God required a substitutionary sacrifice for sin. A blood sacrifice to pay the price that we could never pay. It's said that everything in Scripture that transpired before the cross points forward to the cross. Everything that happened after the cross points backward to the cross. Everything in Scripture points to the cross. That is the most important event in history. That is the culmination of God's entire plan of restitution. The culmination of His entire plan of salvation. Jesus came to be our substitutionary sacrifice. 
a blood sacrifice that would once and for all cover sin. Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't He just say, go in peace and sin no more? Why couldn't He just do that? He's God. He makes the rules. Can't He just do that? No, He can't because He is God. And part of God is righteousness and holiness. And that part of God demands payment. It demands payment for sin. It's got to be paid. The books have to be balanced. That's why Jesus, that's why God set up the substitutionary sacrifice all the way back to the time of Adam. He doesn't want us to have to pay it. He's never wanted us to pay that. But someone's got to. So God came in the form of man and He paid it. He paid it Himself. Thank you, Jesus. But we find in Scripture that His death, that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that Jesus simply died. He had to be raised from the dead. That was also necessary, demonstrating that this enemy, death, this unnatural intruder, has been defeated because our sin, the cause of death, had finally been atoned. Sin had once and for all been atoned for. That price had finally been paid once and for all. Not rolled forward for a year, but completely paid for. And because of that, death was conquered. Because of that, Jesus demonstrated that victory by being resurrected from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 13-17 says this. This is the importance of the resurrection. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And this right here, folks, is why this, why I'm belaboring the point of millions of years and death before sin. This is why right here. This is why we need to establish when death entered creation. Did it enter creation before sin? Or did it enter creation after sin? Because if it entered before sin, then death is not the consequence of sin. If death entered before man sinned, then death is not the consequence of sin. If that's true, then this whole system of, of a substitutionary sacrifice, a blood offering, something had to die in our place, that's a sham. Because death has nothing to do with sin. And if that's true, the sacrifice of Jesus is absolutely irrelevant. It's completely unnecessary. And if that's true, then there is no salvation. That's why this topic is so important. What we believe about death determines whether or not there even is a salvation. That's really what this boils down to. If I believe in millions of years, then death comes before sin, and His sacrifice was completely vain. It never had to happen. Why? Because death isn't a consequence of sin. But if death is a consequence of sin, then something has to die. And that's why Jesus came and died on a cross. That makes him, that makes his substitutionary sacrifice in full effect. Completely relevant and absolutely able to take care of every single sin that I've ever committed. Every single sin you've ever committed. His blood is more powerful than anything you could think, than anything you can do. His sin can cover every Nazi that participated in the Holocaust. His sin can cover every Russian that participated in the genocides under Stalin. 
Imagine that. If His blood can cover that sin, it can most certainly cover anything you've done. It is sufficient. It is powerful enough to do that. Someday God is going to restore His creation to its original state. That's a promise that we have and we look forward to that. But that brings a question up. What was the original state? Was the original state uh, a world of suffering and disease and death and billions of years? Is that what God is going to restore this place to? Well, <laughs> newsflash, we are, we're already here. We got that right now. What's He going to restore? What's He going to make new? He's going to restore this to its original state where there was no pain. There was no disease. There was no suffering. There was certainly no death. That's what God is going to restore this to. I know Christians, I've heard UPCI ministers stand behind a pulpit and claim it doesn't matter what we, when we believe God created everything. It doesn't matter how He created everything. It doesn't matter how old the earth is. We just need to worry about being saved. We just need to worry about Acts 2.38. Well, I, I'll go with you. We need to worry about being saved. But what you believe about this other stuff matters, folks. If you believe that this is billions of years old, and the fossil record is true, then there is no salvation. Don't worry about Acts 2.38 because His sacrifice was irrelevant. It matters. It absolutely matters when God created everything. It's a big deal what we believe about that. And so I'm going to stand up here and proclaim with everything I got, this is a young earth. Sin comes after death. I'm sorry, death comes after sin. It's got to. It matters, folks. And I love my brothers and I love my sisters that believe something different, but they're wrong. And I will, as Paul said, withstand them to their face. They're wrong. And they're teaching false doctrine. They're teaching something that leads to the impossibility that I can be saved. You better believe I'm going to get a little riled up about that. That rubs my rhubarb. Believe it. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Because of Adam's sin, death came into the world, because that's the consequence of sin. Death. James 1.15 says that when lust hath conceived... It bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Romans 5 and 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It seems to me the clear teaching of Scripture is that death is a consequence of sin. All the way back to the book of Genesis. Death is a consequence of sin. Death reigned from then until Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Because of one man, death entered into creation. Also by one man, death is obliterated and salvation is assured. The first Adam brought death. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, brings everlasting life. Because of His one perfect and final sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice at Calvary, our substitutionary sacrifice, 
Our sin debt is completely paid in full. The burden of our sin is gone. And the demonstration of that is His resurrection. That's the proof. He was only able to do that because the cause of death, sin, had been dealt with once and for all. Because He was resurrected, we are assured that that debt is fully paid. And all the consequences that go along with that are taken care of. They're completely taken care of. Our physical bodies still experience death. Should the Lord tarry, all of us are going to experience death someday. But because of His sacrifice at Calvary, we have the promise of everlasting life with Him. We will not experience death, not the second death, not everlasting death. We will experience everlasting life through Jesus Christ's sacrifice at Calvary. His resurrection was an open declaration to all that He had conquered death because He had paid the price for our sin. Those two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. If you have sin, you've got to have death. The wages of sin is death. He declared it in Genesis. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was the declared consequence of sin. Because God declared that consequence, that's the price that needed to be paid. And He is the one that paid it for us. Praise God. We have a hope today in Jesus. Not in ourselves. In ourselves we have hope of death. That's all we have to look forward to in and of ourselves. But because of His substitutionary sacrifice, He died in our place. He paid the price of my sins Himself. The just punishment of my sins was paid by Him. So our doctrine of death is this. Death is here because of our sin. All through Scripture we see demonstration, types and shadows of the sacrifice that would one day come and take care of that for us. We see the sacrifice of lambs and bullocks and goats. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of animals gave their lives year after year so that the nation of Israel could stay in covenant relationship with God. The reason that had any effect at all is because God was looking forward to the day when Christ would come, when He would wrap Himself in flesh and come in the form of a man and hang on a cross and die. That's why those lambs and bullocks and goats had any effect at all. Because He knew that one day He was coming to take care of it in full. Thank God for a Savior like Jesus Christ who was willing to do that for us. The doctrine of death will affect this physical body, but it will not affect us. It will not affect our spiritual being. We will live forever in perfect harmony with Jesus Christ, in the direct physical presence of Jesus Christ. And we will be there forevermore. Praise God. No sin, no death, no suffering, no disease, no tears, no sorrow of any kind. Amen. What a hope we have in Jesus. Praise God. Let's all stand. Amen. The old song says, Thank God for the blood. I thank God for His blood every single day. I thank God for a Savior because I so desperately needed one. I need one every day. It's His blood. His substitutionary sacrifice that covers my sin. Sin is going to be paid. The price of everyone's sin is going to be paid. It will be paid by the individual. 
or it will be paid by Jesus Christ. Those are the only two options any of us have. That's it. Pay for it yourself or let Jesus take care of it for you. I opt to let Jesus take care of it for me. Amen. Thank God He's willing. Thank God He's able. Thank God He did take care of it for us. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful that although we were the ones that brought sin and and as a consequence, death into Your perfect creation, You're the one who defeated death for us. You're the one who took care of the price of sin for us. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, that You hung on a cross in my place. Because of Your sacrifice, I have complete forgiveness of sin. Because of Your sacrifice, I have hope of everlasting life with You. I have hope beyond this world, outside of this life. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for You. I pray, Lord, that You would bless Your people. Continue to remind us day by day that You are our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, our ever-present help in time of need, our all in all. Bless us as we go our separate ways. I pray, Lord, that each, each and every one of us would walk with You. Bring us back to this place at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so very much for being here tonight. You're dismissed. Continue to remember our ladies in prayer as they are going away to get blessed and to be ministered to and to have fellowship. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.